Welcome to the Cowboy Jeff and Andy Show. Today, hot off the presses, we're going to go to the grand opening of the Allen Hancock College Fine Arts Complex. We also continue our interview with Jose Rodriguez, and he's going to talk about all things Catholic. And finally, I'm going to review The River Bride, the new play from PCPA. Not review, I'm going to comment. It's commentary. So thank you for joining us, and stay tuned.
Your presence here today is a testament to your love of the college and to your support of our students. And I just can't be happier that you're here. And I know that when you have time to walk through this facility, you're going to love seeing all the cool things that are happening here and will be happening in this, uh, in this building. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, John. Hello, everyone. And thank you for coming out today to celebrate the opening of this beautiful new building. My name is Nancy Carrera. I am a Pioneer Valley High School graduate and a second year Hancock student studying theater arts, acting, and stage production. When I started my journey here at Hancock, my classes were all remote due to the pandemic. So you can imagine how exciting it is, it's been to not, to be able to return to campus, but now to have a brand new space to learn it. As a theater arts student, the new classrooms and the learning labs in this building are providing me with hands-on experience while using state-of-the-art equipment. It's a huge privilege to just have access to this professional equipment, but this building isn't just a home for my own program. It's been amazing to see all of the Hancock's fine arts faculty and students under one roof. So often, when I'm heading to my acting class, I look into the other classrooms and watch as my fellow students have their creative passions on display, all their painting, editing films, and practicing their instruments. When I walk through the doors of this building, I feel like this place was really built for students like me. I would like to thank Hancock for supporting and investing in the fine arts. This building, this building will help me and students like me for years to come. Thank you, and I hope you all enjoy this new fine arts complex as much as I do. Come up and cut the ribbon for us. So if our, if our student representatives would come up for the ribbon cutting. I just talked to you not 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> come on up. While you guys are getting ready, I'm going to tell you a couple of fun facts. Based on my calculations, and don't forget I was a local arts major, so you know, take it what you want. If you need to get your steps in, uh, 30 laps around the top is a mile. And I also want to make sure that you just take note of, as you go through the building, what we call the sticky spaces that are, you can see the couches here, chairs over there. Already this has become a hub for students to come and hang out. It's a really fantastic place. And finally, right before we cut it, I want to thank Julia Townsend. Suspense. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, loving it. 
right. Welcome to, back to the Cowboy Jeff and Andy show. And here we have Jose Rodriguez. Hey, Jose. Hey, Andy. I'm missing Cowboy Jeff, but I am just kicking back one bottle of liquid diarrhea after the next. Well, uh, you got to give diarrhea to your thirst. <laughs> it is not acceptable to have thirst. Oh, I love so it. if your thirst has diarrhea, it's going to it's not it's going to run away. Yes. Yeah. And who likes diarrhea? Every wait, everyone. No. <laughs> now, have you seen the new Avatar? Okay, I have not, but I am familiar with the original one. And what did you think about that one? All right, so I grew up with a cartoon in the '90s called Fern Gully, and it's about these little um, fairies, and this guy who I guess I can't remember. He works for this logging company or something, and he joins the fairies, and they try to stop this logging company from tearing down the forest. And I'm like, wait, isn't that just Avatar? Wow. Well, it does have that environmentalist message. Yeah. Well, I saw half <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> and I, I bought the unlimited see as many movies as you want for $20, $24.99 a month. And... So I was able to walk out. Three hours is a long time for a movie. How much did oh. he spend a lot of money? Yeah, I think it's the most expensive movie ever made. Wow. Well, I always wonder, like, should I be attracted to these creatures? I mean, they're practically naked, and they kind of resemble, there is kind of a female form, but it just, I don't think I am. I, I think I should be, or maybe I shouldn't be. I can't figure it out. I don't think I am. Tails. I'm just not into tails. Uh, yeah. Now I thought it was a Smurf. I thought it was a Smurfs reboot, and the and Papa Smurf had gone to P90X. You know, just a little working out. Got all jacked. Got all jacked. Maybe, uh, maybe Avatar Three will bring in Papa Smurf. And do you know? Remember the other Smurf names? Or I don't. <laughs> Smurfette. It's so like Sneezy and Dopey and. Doc and and the Papa Smurfs are they uh, named after the artists like Leonardo and uh, Michelangelo? <laughs> Michelangelo. And I think that's yeah. They the, eat pizza. Yeah, I think that's the Ninja Turtles. That's Ninja Turtles yeah. in the in the sewer. Well, but I'm attracted. Uh, Can I just say that I'm attracted? I just want to make attracted to the blue creatures. I'm attracted to. to Would the, you kick a blue creature out of bed? <laughs> I don't have a tail. That's the only thing that's a little. Yeah. Well, tails are helpful for balance and, you know, swinging from trees. But as I recall, don't they have intercourse using tails? They connect in their Avatar? Yeah, they connect their tails. Oh, I haven't gone deep, deep dive in that. <laughs> You'll have to watch it again. I'm pretty sure there's some tail on tail action in that movie. Whoa. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm writing a song about the tiger salamander and it's all about, hey, man, let's let's. Let's swim upstream and go to a nice secluded area so so the <laughs> yeah. other amphibians can't hear you scream. So <laughs> those tiger salamanders, man, they're getting down here on the Central Coast. We've had all that rain. Yeah. And then they just put all those eggs out, thousands oh. and thousands of eggs. Scandalous. Scandalous. Well, I was really interested in about your podcast podcast because you really covered issues related to the Catholic Church and mm -hmm. and um, and it's it's a traditional institution and you have a leader Pope Francis who is trying to push it at a progressive more of a progressive but 
maybe you could talk about there was um, some recent announcements that he was t he was uh, addressing. Yeah, so Pope Francis actually uh, was elected Pope in 2013, I believe, before Easter, after um, his predecessor uh, Benedict. Pope number, what did they call him? Pope number two? He was, oh wait, what? Well, he was he was alive, but right, he was so a stand in Pope. Kind yeah, of, Pope whatever. Benedict uh, resigned. He was the first Pope in 600 years to resign. So when he resigned, he became Pope Emeritus. Pope Emeritus. So he was kind of the Pope in, um, I don't know what the word is. He was just kind of in seclusion. Right. Self isolation. In his, uh, his lair, his, his little ice, ice yes. kingdom. Exactly. And so right away, Pope Francis was, you know, uh, rocking the boat by choosing the name Francis right after St. Francis of Assisi. He kind of sent uh, a signal to the world that he was going to be a different kind of a pope. And early on in his pontificate, he um, made a comment on an airplane trip uh, when asked by reporters about uh, you know LGBTQ plus Catholics, he made a comment, "Who am I to judge?" And this kind of rocked the Catholic world. A lot of Catholics were like, "Um, you, <laughs> you're the Pope, aren't you supposed to judge?" And a lot of people in society, I think, felt that way too. But this was kind of you know a, a precursor to later um, comments that he made regarding you know, LGBTQ plus persons. Um, Conservative Catholics have not responded well, generally, to his comments. Um, but his his whole his whole approach has been: we need to open the church up to everyone. We can't just open it up to the perfect and this the the chaste, right? It has to be a church that's for everyone, right? The word Catholic uh, comes from the Greek "katholikos," which means universal, right? So you can't have exceptions to that. Uh, but recently he made comments uh, to the effect that we should, well, not just we, every country in the world should decriminalize uh, homosexuality. Because in 68 countries in this on this planet, 68 countries have laws criminalizing homosexuality. And in 11 of those countries, uh, it's punishable by death. And unfortunately, in some of those countries, there are Catholic bishops who support uh, criminalization of uh, homosexuality. So Pope Francis has said basically that those bishops who support criminalizing uh, homosexuality are in, in fact um, in a state of sin themselves and have to be converted. Um, they need themselves to convert um, because, as you said, it's not a crime to be it's not a crime to be gay, right? Uh, and that those kind of laws, um, they're, they're an offense to God, basically. So, yeah, he, he's made comments to the effect for many years. But recently he's been more, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the word aggressive is the right way to put it, but he's been much, he's been speaking on these issues much more frequently. Well, I liked what he said in, in, Africa was he in the Republic of Congo? I believe he was in South Sudan. He might have been in Congo yeah, as well. And uh, but he was all the minerals that they're mining there. Mm -hmm. 
And these are dangerous chemicals that are that they're using for smartphone batteries and that there's these unsanctioned mines where people are working in truly medieval situations with toxic materials. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm glad he he spoke up for that. Yeah, he's been speaking out on issues of um, you know economic issues for many years. Well, from the beginning. Again, he chose the name Francis after St. Francis, who was a man of uh, poverty and humility. Uh, he's, from Argen- he's from Argentina. He, he himself. Spanish and he himself is from Argentina. Dances the yeah, liberation theology. And he dances the salsa. Or, um, is that the right dance? What, what is he, the dance He dances. Argentina. It's the mambo. Is that what it is? He does that it's, dance. It's that dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, and they turn the <laughs> other way. The, he does uh, it, though. I can't remember what that's we're called. Gonna put that in, uh, we're going to put that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, well, do you think that, I mean, you just had a child about four years ago. Do you think your religion has changed? Do you think you're more religious now than maybe you were younger? I don't. Um, I'll say that I'm more knowledgeable of my faith. I think from when I was a young person, especially like in high school, when I feel like I had my conversion I've been a person of faith, but in my 20s, it kind of, you know, like most people in their 20s, you kind of, you have freedom and you start making choices that (laughs) aren't always healthiest and maybe don't align with your personal beliefs or faith. And you kind of forget. And as I've gotten into my 30s, I've gone back to being more of a faithful person, walking out my faith and not just saying it, but actually doing it. Well, I was raised in the church, and my father was in the clergy, and um, and for me it was community. And you you go to the church out on Clark, and uh, yeah, so it's a good community. That's what I really find. Mm-hmm. Saint Louis de Montfort Church, yeah, yeah in Orchid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, it is a good community. Um, I have had my issues with that group uh, in Orchid because they are more conservative, and so you'll come across the you know. I don't want to say Christian nationalists, but uh, definitely people who are more in the Trump vein of thinking of of the world, which, you know, if you are familiar with Pope Francis, that is not his way of thinking. <laughs> Building well, walls and wanting to, to deport immigrants. And, yeah, that's not his way of thinking. Well, I was seeing on the NPR podcast that they uh, it was about the topic was it says. Christian nationalism's foothold. So that is, uh, that's just an interesting issue that's that's going on right now. You know, the Jews will not replace us, and yeah, all that. It, it's and that's why for me this is, I guess, a tangent. But for me, it's really bizarre to hear Catholics become enamored with Trump and Christian nationalism because for so long, in the United States, especially there's been a distrust of Catholics in general. Like if you look back to the founding fathers, uh, they had nothing good to say about Catholics. They thought that the Jesuits were part of some evil conspiratorial, you know, plot against, you know, the, the democracy that was the early United States. And you see it all through U S history, like anti-immigration xenophobia directed also against Catholics. 
So for now, for Catholics to be on the anti-immigrant bandwagon or to think that the United States, you know, somehow is ordained by God, <laughs> it's bizarre. It's bizarre. What do you think about the court and the, uh, the abortion decision and, and the predominance of Catholics on the court? That's interesting because I feel like this is this is kind of the whole Christian nationalism aspect where the abortion issue became a catalyst for Catholics and evangelicals to sort of become allies and work together to fight against abortion. And I think that's how some of these more evangelical American uh, mainstream Protestantism has seeped into the Catholic Church through the abortion issue. And this is one of them where, you know, evangelicals and some Protestants think Catholics are of the Antichrist or think that we're all going to hell and haven't been saved by Jesus or whatever. But they know that we're against abortion. So they'll be happy to put our Catholic people on the Supreme Court just to get rid of Roe v. Wade. So it's a, it's a weird alliance that we've made, uh, that some have made, I should say, for the purposes of overthrowing Roe v. Wade. I don't know that overall it's been good for the church, our church. Well, they say there are normal ca Catholics, and then there's a, the Mel Gibson Catholics. Yes. So it's a little bit different. Uh, we call them rad trads, the radical traditionalists. Yeah. And that's where you get, you know, some of the rad trads are where you, you might encounter anti-Semitism and... Oh, wow. The homophobia, xenophobia, unfortunately. Well, the reason I'm so interested is that my my father was in the clergy and, and has got his doctorate from uh, the Claremont Seminary. And, and that was in the 60s. And, and then he eventually, he worked his job and he came out as gay um, in the latter part of his life. And, and but worked a, a career in the clergy. And, and for me, I just reconnected with... Uh, a high school friend um, who we we were at youth group every every Sunday and for me that is the the for me religion was the community and mm -hmm. that that's what I really appreciate about that and we don't have we don't have these institutions that provide community as much as when the churches were here yeah churches well the churches in Santa Maria we have a very active religious community here. We do, and it's and I think, you know, not totally, but in large part, it's our immigrant community. It's the you know the immigrants from Mexico or the Philippines who come to the United States. They're very much people of faith, and they send their kids to church and they send their kids to youth group for sure. Well, this church that I went to in Santa Barbara, the first congregational church, and a lot of the families that my dad recruited in the eighties are still there. 71 members. Wow. And it's just, just, and, and what they're saying is that moderate religions are just being hollowed. Moderate churches are just being hollowed out. Mm -hmm. um, now my, interestingly, my cousin, David Watson, is, what is the dean of the seminary for the Methodist church. And my father grew up Methodist and, and eventually went to the congregational church. But the, the Methodist church has split mm -hmm. and it's split basically over homosexuality and the acceptance of that. And, and 
it's the African churches, and you were t- Pope Francis was in Africa. That's a big hotbed for religion, and and those cons- and Africa is much more conservative, and mm-hmm. so it was almost a split between more progressive Methodist churches and then the um, more conservative strain. And my my cousin went with the conservatives, and he has two gay uncles and and a gay cousin, and and it just. Um, it's just interesting to me. It's, um, you know, how these judgments that people make in the context of a religion, he actually turned in, he resigned from this cat, this Methodist church. And he went to this Methodist church. He has a podcast, which I'll plug it. Firebrand is the name of the, but I think what his determination is, is that in this modern era, the louder, Voices, a lot of times the more conservative voices or extreme voices are the ones that are getting all the oxygen right now. They really are, and especially, I think, since 2015, 2016, with the campaign and the election of President Trump, that's where a lot of the energy has has gone into from the religious right. And I was listening to a podcast on this very topic, actually, and I think many of us have used the word Christian nationalism um, and maybe it's more helpful to think of it as like maybe three overlapping circles. Like there is Christian nationalism, but that overlaps with white supremacy in many cases. And then also Christian supremacy, um, where it's, it's not just um, America per se, but their version of Christ- Christianity that should be um, the dominant force, almost like a theocracy. That to me is really scary. I listened to the C-SPAN morning show, Morning uh, Washington Journal, and there are, I mean, it's a, a, a slice of all opinions, but there's a lot of fascists. Mm-hmm. They say, I don't care about elections. I just want Trump. And I would rather, I would just prefer not to have any more elections, which is really interesting in this um, in this day and age. It is. I don't, I don't know. It, it's... I used to always say I don't ever see something like Nazi Germany ever happening here, but it's not that far-fetched, especially after January 6th. Yeah. Well, the reason I think about this is that, I mean, my dad grew up in another era in the, I mean, born in the 30s, and so they didn't know what being gay was. And then it's just a, a, a story about the shame and the guilt and of having to live a double life and, and, and ultimately, he had to leave the church because he was gay. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just interesting that the Methodist Church is dealing with this and um, the Catholic Church has dealt with this over the years. And so it, it's interesting. And then it's interesting how these progressive religions will adapt. And and I mean, we've had a sea change for gay rights over the last couple decades. So right. it's a lot of good. Yeah, de- definitely. And I... And I want to point out too that you know pope francis regularly meets with um lgbtq plus people at the vatican uh on at least four separate occasions he's met with uh trans individuals trans groups Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that church teaching will change on those issues but definitely what's changing with the sea change as you mentioned is how do we welcome these people how do we uh, walk with them? How do we pastor these people? Um, 
without judgment, without condemnation. Because ultimately, you know, it's it, everyone is going to have their own relationship with, with God and it's just walking with them. And you're not going to walk with someone if you're constantly saying, hey, you're going you're to go to hell for being gay, you know. That's not an effective way of, yeah. Well, a lot of churches, the United Church of Christ, where I come from, they put the gay flag on the door. So it's uh-huh. so there are areas that are welcoming and more progressive religions and churches. Well, uh, do you think with the Catholic Church that there more might be more formalized uh, acknowledgments of progressive ideas, something beyond the Pope's? Um, I mean, is it is the whole institution moving in a direction, or is it? On, push and pull. on the LG- progr- well on that issue or uh, other issues abortion uh, birth control or no. I don't on abortion I don't ever see that changing I think I don't want to say too much on this particular one but in terms of uh, birth control I do see where at some point down the line there might sort of be a change Pope Benedict who was very conservative um actually did make some changes on the birth control front you know he he did say that it would be totally morally illicit for prostitutes for example to use uh, birth control and so i can see where you know they start to realize that the world is not so black and white that you know we all live in you know sometimes shades of gray and you can't make sweeping generalizations sometimes Um, but I, i think when it comes to maybe the most progressive would be an area like the death penalty where pope francis in recent years made a change to the catechism saying that the death penalty is inadmissible no nation on the earth on our earth should be using the death penalty it's a violation of um, human dignity right because if, if each person is made in the image and likeness of god even if someone is guilty of a of a crime such as murder you know that's a it's a grave offense to execute them. And Pope Francis has been huge in terms of, um, well, just to go recently, like with COVID, saying that it was, everyone was morally obligated to get vaccinated. Wow. You know, while other churches in the States, you know, continue to meet and gather and burn their, burn their masks and tell people, you know, in their congregations not to get vaccinated. Pope Francis is like, no, you should. And he, I don't know if you saw this, but at the height of COVID, he had this uh, very powerful prayer vigil in St. Peter's Square. It was at night. It was raining. And he was the only person. You've seen St. Peter's Square, right? Right. Huge space. He was the only one there. It was this powerful image. And he was praying for the world and praying for all the victims of COVID. And he's just there by himself. You'll have to check it out. It's a very eerie, just powerful image. Um, Ukraine, he's been huge on Ukraine, condemning Putin, calling his actions, you know, crimes against humanity. And of course, um, <laughs> I could keep going. I'll, I'll stop on this climate change. He's been huge on advocating, yeah, yeah. uh, for real concrete action on a climate change. And, uh, you know, again, he was named after St. Francis. He chose the name after St. Francis, who's very much. Uh, is known for his love for the environment and for animals, so that's kind of one of his. That's one of his um, big issues is climate change. Well, I uh, 
a good friend of mine. She's from Louisiana, and and she comes from the. Uh, there's a highway that runs through Louisiana. North is Baptist, like the Baton Rouge area, and the South on the Gulf is all Catholic. And they, um, you know, but there's a lot about you know they're living it up, and then they they get forgiven on Sundays. So yeah, so that's a good hey that the Catholics have at least have that to offer. Mardi Gras. Yes, it's Mardi Gras right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have Lent for 40 days. What uh, are you giving up for Lent? I used to give up stuff for Lent. I don't anymore. Now I do stuff for Lent. So I try to be more intentional about praying, doing de- doing devotionals, making more time for going to church, uh, doing more to give money to the poor. So I try to do things more um, than actually giving up. Well, uh, it's so good to see you, Jose. Yeah. And and we're going to keep you and the Cowboy Jeff and Andy family to in case uh, issues related to Catholic Church or politics. We definitely want to bring you back. Yeah, I can be your your resident uh, your resident Catholic expert. <laughs> well, my father, I gave you a, a a refrigerator magnet, and my dad lives in France and lives near Avignon, and that's oh. where the uh, Pope, say, I guess they had to run away from Italy and had to hide in France for a few decades and uh, maybe a hundred years. I think there are five popes up in, uh, but I went yeah. in the Vatican. There's a hole in the in the floor where they put the money. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so well, they definitely thought of that first. They did. That's funny. <laughs> All right, you take care, Jose. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. All right. Last night, after I went to the opening of the Fine Arts Complex, I went to PCPA, and the play is called The River Bride. It is in the small theater, the Severson Theater. Very intimate. It was set up in a different way. Usually, it's more of a theater in the round, um, but this was more was more the audience was on one side, and the stage was on the other side, and it was a very elaborate stage. It, it was a tropical setting, the Amazon rainforest and a pier. And I, I just, when I walked in, that was really the, the first thing that really struck me as this excellent stage. And I, and I had the scenic designer was Jason Bolin and they had a talk back after and really talked about 
how they collaborate, they get some ideas out, and then they go away and they come back, and it's someone has created something special, and and it that's what I love about the theater is it's a collaborative art. Now the play, as I said, the setting was a tropical rainforest, and uh, it was cold, so I had to kind of. I was freezing, but then they had a tropical forest, and but you know I got over that. There was a lot of rain on the roof, and and so I don't know if it was part of the play and the sound effects, or it was just a dark and stormy night last night. River Bride is part of a three-play cycle termed the Grim Latino Fairy Tales by third-generation Mexican-American poet playwright Maricela Trevino Orta. It really, it, so it was a folk tale and it started out, I really liked it because we had my Valentine's show a couple of weeks ago and, and we all love to dream about meeting that for perfect person. What is true love? And, and so I really enjoyed that. Just presenting a, just a nice positive view of love and falling in love. And, and that really brought out a lot of good feelings. There was a very attractive cast, a lot of hair, some great wigs. Um, the two main characters, uh, the main character was Helena by Christian Salayo and Moises John by, who was the actor was Johnny Valerio. I really enjoyed the char- uh, the, char- the relationship between these two characters and, and, uh, Moises really had a really interesting face, and and he also they also had a lot of comedic timing, and so that was I really enjoyed that. But there is kind of a there also reminded me of the Shape of a Water uh, Guillermo del Toro, and uh, they also had kind of a a fish man. I don't want to give up too much of the play, but but it really dealt with the Amazon River, the animals, the dolphins in the river. And the relationship between uh, the people in the, of the river and the people of the sea. And the second act is a little darker. The themes are about wanting adventure or wanting solitude. Of settling. Sometimes we make decisions. This is a very harsh environment, the Amazon and it didn't seem like there were a lot of people, so are you really going to f- find your true true love? Or are you going to just find someone to get along with and try to make a life? And and are these fishmen going to be washing up on the shore and taking, taking the, the women away? I, 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 it just got a little dark. And, but that's life. And the, other th- the last thing I like about it is that the dolphins, the interrelationship between the dolphins and the mammals. And it really reminds me of the, the Rainbow Bridge, the Shumash fairy tale, where the men are climbing from the island across the Rainbow Bridge, and then they fall and they turn into dolphins. And really, this play, which is set in Brazil, really brought some of that imagery that we know with our Shumash uh, folktales. So... I, I enjoyed that. It's a it, it was a lot of young actors, a lot of new actors in PCPA, and so it was really a joy to see. There are not many 
plays in the Severson Theater. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, they have, let's see, their next performance uh, at 7 o'clock next Friday. Uh, they have two performances on Saturday and one performance on Sunday, March 5th. So I definitely recommend it. So check it out. Well, we've reached the end of another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. I would like to thank Jose Rodriguez for being our special guest this week. You can reach us on Instagram at Cowboy Jeff and Andy. We are looking for artists or musicians to feature in the Santa Maria or Central Coast area. You can also reach me at andywatson at yahoo.com. Yes, I'm still on Yahoo. Thank you so much and bye-bye.